In episode three of season two, I discussed the difficult topic of death and what that means in regards to living life on your own terms and also allowing others around you to live life on their own terms, regardless of whether we agree with it or not. This episode, above all things, is a lesson on living. So I hope you guys enjoy episode three of season two, Passing Through New Orleans. Someone else crying when I'm crying never does anything for me, and a hug usually made it worse. So I fought back tears, married my sweaty palms, and avoided eye contact. I've learned it's not terribly difficult to revisit a rose garden of memories and pluck the sweetest sounding words to remember the dead. But what words do we pick for the dying? In front of me stood a man fighting desperately to live. His cancer, a ruthless disease deteriorating his bones, stripping him of his health, career, and what doctors deemed his future. He'd already fought to outlive the first terminal sentence, but the sentence was still the same. Terminal. When I was younger, probably around seven or eight, my mom would tiptoe on squeaky wooden floors to my room, tuck the covers tightly around my body, and kiss me goodnight. Leave the door open just a little, I would beg. She'd ease the door to a near close, leaving me a dull slice of light from the living room. I'd eavesdrop listening to my mom and dad chat about their day and make plans for tomorrow. I found an addictive comfort in their conversation. Plans for tomorrow meant they'd still be here. Shortly after they retired to their bedrooms, I'd start crying, imagining myself an orphan. I love them so much, how could these two people I love die one day? I thought to my seven-year-old self, suffocating an old fuzzy stuffed animal with an anxious squeeze. I knew about death, but not much about dying. I didn't fully grasp that the only living, breathing organisms on this earth that weren't dying were already dead. Everything has its time, which is what makes time so valuable. It gives before it takes, but in the end, it always takes. It fucks me up thinking that that might have been my last trip to Vegas I ever take, Lee said, reminiscing. This damn well might be my last trip to New Orleans, he mumbled through inebriated tears, taking another swig of whiskey for the pain. The hopeful phrases, don't say that or you don't know that, so desperately wanted to leave my lips. But my mind seized them in my throat, drying the words on my tongue. Lee was right. Lee was my boyfriend Jeff's best friend and easily one of the smartest, most selfless, jovial individuals Jeff had ever known. A mentor to him when he was younger and the rare person who always listened, without judgment in trying times when Jeff's cup was empty, and without jealousy when Jeff's cup overflowed. They became brothers that transcended biological fact sharing in an honesty and understanding unlike any relationship I've ever witnessed. Why don't we go to New Orleans for St. Patty's Day weekend? I asked on a lax Sunday afternoon. It'll be fun. You, me, Lee. You haven't even been to NOLA yet. We can grab some drinks, beignets, walk Bourbon Street, people watch. Jeff paused, switching through titles on the TV guide. Yeah, why not? Lee loves New Orleans. Can you look up tickets? Let me know what you find and I'll book the flights and hotel. Oh, we about to tear this city up. Lee said, laughing, flashing two tiers of pearly white teeth. Oh, we gotta hit the ground running. I hope y'all are ready, he said, looking back at Jeff and I. We snatched our things from the overhead bin and wheeled our way into Louis Armstrong International. The airport was peppered with people wearing green, dressed to get lucky in a city where the music was as infamous as the food. We called an Uber to the hotel, stopping a block away from Bourbon Street to avoid traffic. We set out on foot, dragging our luggage out the trunk, then along uneven cobblestone dodging drunks and dancers, band members and bachelorettes. Music thundered from entranceways, a roaring amalgamation of techno, hip-hop, and EDM. Every quarter inch of the avenue brimmed with people. Entertainers, retirees, college kids, locals. The walkway looked like a frat party aftermath, reeking of kegs, porter potties, littered with red cups, plastic beads, and the occasional condom. 
Bourbon Street made an eventful Friday night look comatose. Welcome to New Orleans, serenaded a petite bellboy, his white glove prying open a stout glass door. Our hotel sat perfectly positioned, only walking distance from all the major bars and restaurants. We took brisk showers and decided on plans. We're following your lead tonight, Lee, I said, spritzing my wrist with perfume. Okay, we can hit my usual spots for a couple drinks and head out from there if that's cool with y'all. I know y'all are bougie, ain't no chandeliers and champagne flutes, but the drinks are strong. Yeah, yeah, Jeff and I responded in unison. We stepped into the 80s-style dive bar that smelled of wood chips and cheap whiskey. A few shabby pool tables sat to the right, lit by antique yellow lights. Retro posters lined the walls, and the bar, fully stocked with mid-to-low-grade liquor, was mounted in the center. The bartenders were busy polishing glasses for happy hour, humming to Motown music looping on someone's Pandora playlist. We took the three stools in the corner and ordered a round of drinks. To a weekend in New Orleans. To a weekend in New Orleans, we said, raising our glasses. I thought this would be a wonderful opportunity to build new memories that didn't center around cancer or obligations or timelines. We were in a new city, a city Lee loved, simply enjoying each other's company. It was an effortless thought considering my expiration date on this earth was still unknown. Two drinks later, Lee fell into a daze, detaching himself from our conversation and retreating inward. Lee, you okay? Jeff asked, glancing to the right. Yeah, yeah, I'm good, Lee responded, shaking his head. Thinking a change of scenery might help, Jeff petitioned to leave the dingy dive bar and search for greener pastures. Exhausted, I urged them to continue their adventure without me and just drop me off at the hotel. Tomorrow will be better, I thought, sawing my toothbrush back and forth watching the foam rise and fall in the mirror. It has to be. We're gonna grab good food, drinks... Girl, shut up, my rational self interjected, spitting my naive optimism into the sink. Lee, of all people, had the ultimate excuse to be sullen and bitter. He could have met every word of encouragement with an Oscar the Grouch-style bitch I'm dying. But he chose to tell very few people about his illness and met those who knew with a positive disposition even when experiencing excruciating pain. He didn't want to be a burden or handled with care or cheered up. He wanted to be treated like everyone else. Jeff stumbled back into the hotel room earlier than I expected. Did you guys have fun? I asked anxiously. Jeff let out a long, hoarse sigh and kicked off his shoes. We ended up at this one daiquiri spot, Lee was going through it, and we sat around and talked for hours. We'll talk about it in the morning, Jeff continued, closing the bathroom door. We were out by noon the next day, perusing a bustling bourbon street. Where do you want to stop first? I asked Lee. This is your city, we're up for suggestions. I don't know, I'm following y'all. Lee answered somberly, hands in his pocket, dragging his feet. Bro, we came here for you, where do you feel like going? Jeff asked. Wherever y'all want to go, Lee mumbled, shrugging. Five dollar drinks, five dollar drinks, can't beat it, five dollar drinks, chanted a tall, gangly man flicking a handful of lime green wristbands. We made our way to the bar and were welcomed by a peppy bartender in a tube top and tight jeans. What you drinking, darling? She asked. 90s hip-hop blasted from the indoor bar, Jeff and Lee going back and forth about who was around for what era, and who knew the lyrics to this or that song. Lee's face brightened as he laughed, infecting everyone around him with his contagious cackle. A glimmer of hope for my optimistic self. An hour later, Lee slipped back into the same sullen mood as the first night, provoking Jeff to ask the same question as before. Lee, you good? No response. Lee, you good? Yeah, I'm fine. You're not acting like a man. What's going on? Talk to us. No, really, I'm fine. I'm fine, Lee insisted. Following Lee's diagnosis, Jeff and Lee have had very transparent conversations about death. Not the typical movie scene dialogue where every time the sick character's illness gets mentioned, their loved one breaks out into tears and wishes the cancer away. They both accepted the fact that Lee was going to die. And with that acceptance came the acknowledgement that Lee was human and therefore capable of complexity. 
A lot of us are taught to think that there's no nuance in witnessing someone we care about die, that either you feel one of two emotions, a deep, heart-wrenching sadness, or fondness and love, only looking at your dying counterpart as a perfect angel waiting to bless the heavens. The truth is, since you're both human, you're still going to get on each other's last nerves, make each other angry. Shit, there might even be times when you don't want to talk to each other for a little. And those one-off moments don't take away from the depth or quality of that relationship. Can we get the check, please? Jeff asked the peppy waitress. She punched in the total and set the bill on the counter. Thanks for coming in, y'all, she said, smiling. Okay, Lee, you said you knew about some amazing places to eat. Where we eat? I asked, on a Hail Mary attempt to get him excited about something. Anything. Wherever y'all want to go, Lee muttered. Tired of walking, we ended up at some two-star joint next to a fast daiquiri spot. What can I get y'all? Asked the waiter, pen and paper in hand. Um, I'll get the Reuben with fries and water is fine for now. What about you, sir? The waiter inquired, looking at Lee. Um, I'll have the hamburger. Is it, um, is it alright if I get cheese? Lee asked, looking at Jeff. What do you think? Of, of course, why would you even ask that? Jeff asked, visibly annoyed. Jeff put in his order, giving the waiter permission to go. What kind of question is that, bro? Jeff asked. I'm just checking. You're the one paying for everything. I just wanted to ask if it was okay. You're being ridiculous. We're here to enjoy our time together and you're worrying about cheese on a hamburger? We finished our meal in silence, apart from a few throwaway comments I made to try and break the tension. We got the bill and made our way outside. Man, maybe you just need time to clear your head. Neka and I are gonna walk around for a bit, grab some beignets, we'll all meet back at the hotel later. Alright, Lee replied, glancing around before disappearing into the crowd. Let's go grab some beignets, I said, nudging Jeff. Figuring fried dough coated in powdered sugar would at least, if anything, make me smile. Café du Monde was flooded with tourists. Waiters in their freshly pressed white shirts and aprons swarmed the hive, cleaning off tables, delivering coffee, hot cocoa, and everyone's beloved beignets with lightning pace. You could easily distinguish first-timers from veterans by their grip on the fat piece of dough. Scared to overcommit and send dust flying all over their bodies, the first-timers took a gentle nibble, nodded their heads, and in a split second decided that getting powder all over their clothes was worth it. Shit was delicious. How are you feeling? I asked Jeff, blowing on my coffee. I don't know. He sighed. I thought this trip would take his mind off things. He's done so much for me over the years. This is the least I could do. What's a trip to New Orleans? I know if I was in his position, he'd do the same for me, if not more. There are times when I didn't have it, and I mean really didn't have it, and he was one of the few people that supported. He's in constant pain, can't work, his previous company screwed him out of benefits, insurance dropped him. I've seen his life go from pretty damn good to fucking horrible in months. There's no manual on how to be there for your dying friend. After clearing our plates, we got up and strolled the city, watching street performers pack up their things and bars prepare for another eventful night on the avenue. We trudged to our room around midnight, assuming Lee probably struck up a random conversation with strangers as he so often did, and was having the time of his life. He was the type of person who, after 10 minutes of meeting him, you felt comfortable enough to share your life story with. He possessed a gift that put you at ease. He wasn't judging you the same way everyone else did. He accepted you as you were. Lee didn't come back that night. Jeff spent the evening in and out of sleep, calling Lee to no avail. Something happened, Jeff said lucidly. I can feel it in my gut, man, I just know it. He got into something, doesn't have access to his phone, something happened. Jeff knew Lee better than I did, so my objections only made things worse. Maybe he just f fell asleep somewhere or ended up at another hotel, I added. Nah, I know Lee. He would have at least answered his phone by now. 
Shortly after we returned from breakfast, in shuffled a liquored-up Lee with a swollen lip the size of a gumball, touting a blueberry slushie in one hand and a half-eaten slice of pizza in the other. Bro, where have you been? Jeff asked. Um, well, I got into a fight last night, and I just got out of jail this morning. They took my phone and everything, so I had no way of contacting y'all, and I, I know I look bad, but you should have seen the other. I don't fucking understand you, man. Jeff interjected, bawling both fists. We came out here for you. This might be my... This might be my last time in New Orleans, Jeff. How am I supposed to feel? Lee asked, voice cracking on the verge of tears. Then why not motherfucking enjoy it? You're happy trying to finesse a drink, trying to finesse a meal, but when people who love you do things for you, it's a problem. I don't understand you, Jeff yelled, shaking, his rage slowly reshaping into sadness. Not everything done for you is done to get something in return. You've spent so much time focusing on the end, you've forgotten to enjoy the present. Jeff and Lee continued their back and forth for another 15 minutes. And believe it or not, after their argument, we ended up having a pretty good time. They hugged it out, and Lee shared the story of his crazy night over mimosas. We walked around, took pictures, sharing in moments we thought would have been commonplace on a trip like this. Peering at these two friends through my camera lens, I couldn't help but reflect on the small sample size of time I've had the privilege of spending with Lee, and how it greatly impacted my perspective on living, not just dying. Following a terminal diagnosis, we don't automatically become these bucket list thrill-seekers hopping from island to island, quitting our day jobs to parachute out of helicopters till time's up. For that to be the case, a seed of that spirit must already exist. We also don't automatically morph into constantly crying, sympathy-seeking patients that only respond to pity or reassurance. Unless a seed of that spirit already exists. Lee nurtured the seed of resilience, not reassurance. He didn't island hop, but he got up every day staring death in the face and fought back. He never sought sympathy, he just wanted to live on his own terms. And Lee has taught me that you choose those terms while you're living, not when you're dying. I clicked through the images, savoring this joyful, fleeting moment in time. I didn't quite understand how two people could be so intensely annoyed with each other one minute, then perfectly fine the next. Like yin and yang, there was something beautiful about watching opposites in harmony. Two people living their lives the way they want to live them, even if the other didn't agree with it. I tilted the camera towards the guys to show them the photos. Oh shit, this lip looks worse than I thought, Lee gasped. Well, at least I look good, Jeff added. They both looked up, turned to each other, and laughed. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this. Time, the most valuable resource that we all possess, especially given this episode. I hope that you took away from it as much as I did, being able to witness this beautiful relationship between two friends. And it was the hardest episode I've ever had to write, especially because there wasn't a lot of dialogue from me, but more so observation. So again, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you love the podcast, please hit the five-star button. If you really, really, really are feeling generous, leave your girl a review. We are now on Spotify this season, which is extra special. So check us out on that medium if you haven't already. Thank you guys again for listening. It means so much to me.